Well, the season is finally over. It was a slog this year for the Giants. Some highs, some lows, and it culminated in an 81-81 and record. The first time they've ever finished at exactly 500. So we're going to assess the state of the team, strengths, weaknesses, different positions, and what, what they got to do in the offseason next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspic, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts. And coming up on today's show, the season is over, and we're going to look position by position, really, at the state of the San Francisco Giants, kind of take inventory of where this team stands, following up on what will go down as a very disappointing 81 and 81 season. I can't believe first time in 140 year history of the Giants that they finished at exactly 500. So there you have it. Meh. You know, it's not great. It's not terrible. It's right in the middle. So that's that. The season is over. I'm kind of glad because it's time to change things up. And when we look at the state of the team, I mean, one number really stands out to me. We talked yesterday about how they just really were missing impact position player talent. And uh, this number kind of shows that. So so last year, their top three position players combined to produce 14.6 fan graphs wins above replacement. And those three players, by the way, were Crawford, Posey, and Belt. And this year, their top three position players combined to produce just seven fan graphs wins above replacement. And so those 7.6 wins would have made the difference. If they could have had that same level of production from their top three players, they very likely would have been in the playoffs. So a lot of people mentioned Buster Posey when I tweeted this out. And while that's true, Posey was second best on the Giants last year behind Crawford. The point I made was that Crawford went from 6.3 Fangraphs war to 2.0 this year. And Brandon Belt went from 3.9 to 0.0. So that's a loss of 8.2 just from the Brandons alone. So if they had been able to replicate what they did last year, not that anyone really should have expected a pure replication, but that's eight wins off the board just from the Brandons not producing at that same level. Granted, last year they won 107 games. So if everything went the same, you're winning 107 again, and they didn't need to get close. They just needed 80. It turned out 87 wins would have been enough for the Giants to get in, and that they should have been able to achieve. So anyway, like I said, though, position by position, why don't we start off with that catcher position? Because it's one of those positions that underwent the biggest change from last year to this year, and we we saw the introduction of an important young player for the San Francisco Giants, and that's Joey Bart. And overall, 
Sorry to say, but it wasn't a great year for Joey Bart. There were some lows, there were some highs, but when all is said and done, Joey Bart hit 215 with a 296 on base and 364 slugging, and he had a 38.5% strikeout rate. Now you might be thinking, that was the old Joey Bart. He went down to the minors, he came back, and he was a different guy. Well, not really. He was a different guy for a while, but the strikeout issues have ticked all the way back up to where they were prior to being sent down. He's, I, I tweeted out his rolling 15-game rolling strikeout rate. So it takes a sample of your most recent 15 games, and it rolls. Uh, to Each new day, it then goes 15 games back, and what is your average strikeout rate during that time? And he got it all the way down to like 20% in around game 65 of his season but by the end at the very end here he's back up to closer to 50 percent strikeout rate in a 15 game window and it ticked you know it wasn't just like it just shot up it slowly progressed up to that level which is where he was prior to getting sent down so those strikeout issues came back he did have a concussion i don't know if it's related i just tend to think he's just not he has issues at the plate. He's not a perfect hitter by any means. He's got swing and miss. He's got chase. And it all adds up to having a 38.5% strikeout rate, which is one of the highest in the major leagues. And so, yes, we saw some good. It was a relatively brief amount of time that Joey Bart was doing well offensively. He did do pretty well defensively, I would say, generally speaking. But overall, just not really the impact talent that many have hoped that he would be. I'm not saying he can't do that. We saw some positives. He can build off that potentially. And then Austin wins, as a matter of fact, like you could even make a case that Austin wins ended up having the better season than Joey Bart. Yes, I really said that. Austin wins ends up with a 93 weighted runs created plus. Joey Bart was at 90. And Wins hit 259 with a 313 on base. So remember, Bart 215 with a 296 on base. So wins significantly better in both of those categories. And wins only struck out 21.5% of the time. Again, compared to Joey Bart's 38.5%. 38.5% is really high. League average is in the low 20s, which is where Austin wins was. Wins a little bit lower than league average strikeout rate. And I thought Wins did a really good job with framing. I think Bart is a better thrower, but Wins, he really improved as the season went on, I thought. He actually finished quite well, and he became a solid backup. So for me, at the position, I'm not 100% sold on just going into next year with this same tandem. This is a little bit controversial. I know some people listening to this will be scream, you know, kicking, not kicking and screaming, but not happy with what I'm saying. But in my opinion, Joey Bart remains a guy who could be dealt. If there's a team out there that is going to give you something that you find more valuable, I think that you consider doing that because he just doesn't fit the type of profile that this team values with the chasing and the swinging and missing. I guess swinging and missing is all right if you're uh, not chasing and you're impacting the ball when you hit it. But for Bart, that just generally was a pretty significant struggle. And wins, I'm not saying he's a great player by any means, but he more so kind of matches that description. They would then need to get a an everyday catcher or a catcher to, sh to split time with wins. But 
I don't know. They're, they're going to have to consider any and all ways to improve their roster this season, this offseason. And I don't know how much value Joey Bart would have out there right now after the season he just had. It just wasn't a very good season for Joey Bart. He is a young player. I understand he's not a finished product. But all the issues we said prior to the season to be concerned about with him manifested themselves this year. And while he somewhat held his own, at times he didn't. He didn't prior to getting sent down, and he didn't in the last month of the season either. So anyway, we need to move on to other positions. Coming up in just a minute, Brandon Belt is a free agent. The state of first base all around the infield, Evan Longoria in this club option. We'll move a little bit quicker, and we'll get to all of these positions and how the Giants fare with them next. But first... BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis of every uh, game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there, including right now, baseball playoff odds. MLB postseason gets underway tomorrow, and you can check all of that out on Bet Online. all of the different odds they have for each and every one of those series. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, as promised, we're going to move a little bit quicker through the rest of the positions for the Giants. I'm giving a, a blunt analysis. I mean, look, this was an 81 and 81 year. Clearly, they're going to have some deficiencies as we move through this. And I think for catcher, I'm a little less patient with young players. That tends to be when I see red flags. That's why I don't want to come across as overly harsh on Joey Bart. It's just the reality of the situation is that the strikeouts and the chasing is just not going to work, and we saw a lot of it this year. So moving on to other positions on the field. I mean, Brandon Belt is a free agent at the end of the year, the first base position, and the end of the year is here. So Brandon Belt will reach free agency. He can't be given the qualifying offer. They wouldn't give him the qualifying offer anyway. He had a very disappointing year. He had these knee issues all season long. He had knee surgery, and he's feeling better. Uh, apparently much better is what he says, but of course he's trying to get a new contract. Uh, he was paid $18.4 million this year, and he's not going to get anything close to that going into next year. He's 34 years old. He'll turn 35 on April 20th of 2023. So Belt may have played his last game with the Giants. And if he did, I mean, he was a great Giant, in my opinion, underrated through almost the entirety of his career Really good defensively, underrated defensive player, impact bat when he was hot, and just even when he wasn't hot, always a guy who got on base quite a bit. And so the state of the position is that they have a number of guys who can kind of play first base, and you wouldn't call them like a pure first baseman, but... uh I mean, Tommy LaStella is technically still on this roster, but I don't know that he's going to survive the offseason from a, you know, being on the Giants standpoint. Wilmer Flores played first base in, in the last game of the year, and he is under contract for now two more years after they extended him. But Wilmer Flores, by the way, over the last uh, couple months of the season, month and a half, really, he was really bad. He really struggled at the plate over the last month and a half of the year. So hopefully that's just kind of a fluky thing. 
but it was a little bit alarming to watch and look at some of the numbers since mid-August for Flores. But he could be in the mix at first base. J.D. Davis is another guy who could be in the mix at first base. He has two years of arbitration eligibility remaining, meaning the Giants can decide if they want to to simply bring him back. It's up to the team. The salary would be to be determined, but the you can decide we want you back and then the salary gets worked out eventually. So he's in that mix. And besides that, I don't really see, I mean, Lamont Wade Jr. is another guy who has played some first base and he'll be entering his first year of arbitration eligibility. And Wade is a non-tender candidate because of the disappointing season that he just had. Another guy following up a successful 2021 with just a falling flat disappointment in 2022. Baseball is a hard, hard game. And this year kind of showed that for the Giants. Moving to second base, it's a lot of the same kind of discussion, except Tyro Estrada entrenched himself as a guy who can be an everyday player. He was one of the more successful stories of 2022 for the Giants. And Estrada, he might be a super two guy, which means if you're in the top 22% between two and three years of service time, you become arbitration eligible an extra year and a year early. So I think he'll be a guy who ends up arbitration eligible this winter, and then he'll, he still has four years of team control regardless. And so Estrada's emergence, he's only 26. He was their best position player, was a good thing for this team. He can play second every day or he can move around the diamond. He could play third. He could play short. They, they've said they think he can play third. He can play left. So I don't know how well he plays those other positions. I thought he played a pretty good second base, had issues at times. But Estrada is firmly on this roster going into next year, unless there was some kind of crazy scenario where they ended up trading him. But that doesn't seem likely at all. So shortstop. Brandon Crawford is signed for one more year for $16 million. It's possibly an overpay, although when you look at the season he had, he ended up having a solid year because he was a good defensive shortstop. Ends up putting up 2.0 Fangraphs wins above replacement, which according to Fangraphs is worth $15.9 million, and he's paid 16. So they're only paying him to be league average or so. They're not paying him to be an MVP candidate. So he kind of fulfilled that. Obviously, legendary giant, one more year, signed. And the big question is, when we look to the offseason and they need to improve their position player mix, so many of the best position players available in free agency are shortstops. And so it's going to be a big storyline. Are the Giants interested in these shortstops? We've heard rumblings that they will be. But then what do they do with Crawford? Or, you know, does Crawford move positions or do they sign one of these guys potentially and ask them to move positions? That would be my guess. But we'll have to wait and find out. But Crawford will be back. It was certainly a fall and a disappointment from last year, but still an overall decent year for Brandon Crawford. Didn't kill them. So at third base, this is a position that has been kind of held down by Evan Longoria. For the last five years, ever since they made that trade with the Rays to inherit the contract of Longoria, and that contract is finally up after this season. But there's a $13 million club option for next year that the Giants have, and there's a $5 million buyout. So it's an $8 million decision. I tend to think even if they bring him back, it won't be by just picking up the $13 million club option. 
he has expressed a willingness to kind of settle somewhere in between five and thirteen million. I would I would tilt closer to five versus closer to thirteen personally. And I'm also not sure they do it at all because they need to get younger and more athletic. He's 37 years old. He's he turns 37, I think, tomorrow or somewhere around there. Yeah, he'll be 37 on the seventh. And so, you know, he's not exactly young and athletic. He is pretty athletic, but he's not young. He's had injury issues. If they don't bring him back, they can use that opening. Like I mentioned a second ago, they could could you sign Carlos Correa and have him play third base for a year and then Crawford departs and then Correa becomes an option at short. I think Correa with the arm could definitely play third and then it's insurance if Crawford were to get hurt or something. He could easily obviously slot into shortstop. So that's something to definitely keep in mind there. So coming up in just a minute, we're going to turn our attention to the outfield. Oh, by the way, I mean, Wilmer Flores can can play third. Tommy LaStella, like I said, $11.5 million he's owed next year, and I'm not sure that he will be back. They might just have to eat that money, which is quite a bit of money to just say, we're going to pay you this to just not come back. <laughs> that would be pretty embarrassing for the front office for handing out that deal and for LaStella himself. And of course, J.D. Davis can also play third, but... These guys aren't great defensively, and so I don't like that option of just, okay, we'll, we'll not bring back Longoria, and Flores and J.D. Davis are our best options there. I think they'll definitely have to do something better than that, whether it's bringing back Longoria, but then you obviously need to add some Im- impact talent to the roster. Longoria can't be a middle-of-the-order kind of guy for you, necessarily. Or you just need to say goodbye to... Longoria and then fill that position with, like I said, a Carlos Correa. So coming up in just a minute, we are going to turn our attention to the outfield. There's a lot going on in the outfield. Who's going to be back? It might only be a couple of guys currently on this roster. And what's the future for Jock Peterson in San Francisco? All of that in just a minute. But first. All right. As promised, we're going to turn our attention to the outfield This is an area where there's probably going to be a lot of turnover. And it starts with Jock Peterson. He he is a big unknown here because I think the team would like to have him back, but it's unclear if he will be back. He sounded very disappointed with how the season went and how he only really cares about winning and this team didn't win. And he was super bummed about that. And I don't blame him. It kind of goes for all of us. We all feel that way. And so he had a very good year with the bat, a 144 weighted runs created plus. He hit 274 with a 353 on base and 521 slugging. Just great numbers across the board offensively. Defensively, different story. He was not a good defender for the Giants in 2022. Decent base running, I suppose. But overall, 2.0 Fangraphs wins above replacement in limited playing time because he platooned you know so like even in games when he starts he often got taken out in the middle of the game and over the course of time plus you're not starting against lefties you're not playing as much as an everyday player would but he was just the he was basically everything they could have asked him to be I wouldn't say and then some it just kind of was a good version of Jock Peterson except the defensive uh, issues he used to be able to play center But now you'd be crazy to put him in center. So I would have concerns about that. But bringing him back kind of a la Wilmer Flores, 
not, you know, you're not expecting him to be a true impact player, but just a really nice player in his role is what Jock Peterson is. And so I would like to see it, but will he want to go elsewhere? And what will the contract be? That's what's going to be interesting because I think part of it is that Peterson probably wants a bigger deal than maybe what the market is going to provide to him simply because of what I said in that he has these deficiencies, even though he's so good at what he does overall, the overall package is limited. And so how much do you pay for a platoon player who's not great defensively? So that's going to be really interesting to see what he ultimately ends up getting. And is it from the Giants? We're going to have to wait to find out. But other than Peterson, they have a lot of outfielders on this roster, but not very many guys who are kind of guaranteed of roles. The guys who are, I think Austin Slater is another guy who's like good in his role. And he has this role where he's he's in there against left-handed pitching. He does play good defense, doesn't always make the best throws, but he actually has the best arm on the team and he's fast and he can play a good center field from a range perspective. So add it all up and it was just another solid year for Austin Slater. And he is a, a guy who has two more years of arbitration eligibility. So the Giants, like I mentioned with J.D. Davis... If they want him back, they can have him back. It's up to the team. The salary would be to be determined. It would be a modest number between two and a half and three million dollars, most likely. And he can be back. It'll just be Slater in the same role next year, most likely. And I think that he ultimately probably ends up being platooned with Mike Yastrzemski, who also he was a super two, meaning he gets four years of arbitration, whereas most guys get three. So he gets four. So this year was his first year of our ARB eligibility, and he got $3.7 million in year one. So he's in line for a raise just because that's how arbitration works. Even if you underperform, you still are in line for a raise. So expect Yaz to get, I don't know, four and a half, five million dollars. It starts to get a little bit slightly uncomfortable for the production that we saw, which was inconsistent and at times bad. But overall, it was just a solid season, kind of like Crawford, like decent offense, but good defense, good base running. That's not necessarily like Crawford, but Yaz is fast. So he provided defensive uh, base running value as well. And all in all, I think a Slater and Yastrzemski platoon at one outfield spot, whether it's in center or in right, is solid. And then you could go out and sign a couple of everyday outfielders. But then you've also got these other guys in Lamont Wade Jr. and Luis Gonzalez, who I'm not sure either will be back. And it's a they're both interesting cases in that they're both out of minor league options next year. And yet both had at times pretty serious struggles throughout the season. Lamont Wade Jr., is going to be entering his first year of arbitration eligibility. And I'm just not sure that after the season he just had, when you enter arbitration, you start to make more money than the league than the league minimum. So Lamont Wade Jr. would be in line for a contract of, I don't know, whatever it may be, a max of two-something million dollars and a minimum, I don't know, one-plus million dollars. So it's not much. But at the same time, you're like committing to the player. When they have options, you can kind of say, okay, if you believe a guy might struggle and they have options, that's a big deal because you can 
say, okay, we'll keep you around, but if you struggle, we're sending you down. But for Wade and for Gonzalez, they can't do that. They they would have to have them on the major league roster or else not have them at all, or or else expose them to waivers when another team could claim them. So Wade is in that position and Gonzalez is, is in that position. And I would be surprised if both guys are on that roster next year. Both. I don't know about one. I think it's very possible that one of these two would be on that opening day roster, but I don't see both and I could see neither. So Gonzalez, if you look at the numbers, he actually has always, when he was with the White Sox and this year with the Giants, he hit well against right-handed pitching. It was left-handed pitching that gave him a problem. And for Wade, that's always been the same story as well. And so in Gonzalez, I think you have a little bit of a younger and more athletic somewhat version of Lamont Wade Jr. And plus Wade's season was more disappointing overall, I would say. So if I had to pick one, I'm probably leaning towards Luis Gonzalez. I think both could be trade candidates in the offseason. They could tender them contracts and then deal them in the offseason. That's a possibility. But this is an area where those devoted roster spots could certainly be used when they need to make their upgrades, these are guys who could ultimately be replaced. So Gonzalez showed promise this year, but overall it wasn't a great year when all of it was factored in. Wade showed not just promise, but was good last year in his platoon role, kind of like Jock Peterson in a way, in that he was it's a limited profile. But he also placed some first. We also saw Jock Peterson taking ground balls at first throughout the course of the year, later in the year when belt went down. And so it's possible that if they bring back Peterson, he could actually be in that mix at first base because he wasn't great defensively in the outfield kind of slowed down. I don't want, I don't like talking about people's bodies, but he just got a little bigger than he used to be. And so he slowed down a little bit. Range wasn't as good as it used to be. And so would that make him better suited at first base? I don't know. So all of that is under consideration I'm probably skipping over somebody, but these are kind of the guys who are firmly in that mix next year. And, you know, we didn't have time to get to the position uh, to the pitchers today, but the position players, that's the area where I think they they have to have a better offseason than they had last year. And it's going to present the most opportunity to make a real upgrade to this team. And there's a lot of position player talent out there. Judge and a bunch of shortstops, plus some other nice complimentary players, Drury, Nimmo, uh, Hanniger. There's a lot of guys, and I would like to see the Giants have an aggressive offseason. They're going to need to if they want to get back to the playoffs in 2023. Farhan Zaidi is going to meet with the media tomorrow morning, and tomorrow after that, after he talks with the media, we're going to have an episode breaking down what he says. And it's going to be very interesting to hear what he has to say. So uh, please come back tomorrow for that. Thanks again for making Locked On Giants your first listen today. Now make your second listen. The Locked On MLB podcast, MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked On MLB, on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. And please hit that thumbs up button, uh, notification bell, 
Whatever you can do, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.